This is the MG Podcast. My name is Mary Frances McNinch, and I'm here to tell you it is hotter than Hades in Texas. I don't know where you live, but I hope you're not experiencing this hot, humid weather that we've been having. You cannot be outside after about 10 o'clock in the morning, and you can't go back outside until about 10 o'clock at night. It's just awful. When it's cold, you want warm. When it's warm, you want cold. I grew up in South Dakota, and uh, we had our share of either extreme plus the wind. And I understand it's very dry there. It was rainy here for a while, but now we're paying for it with a lot of mosquitoes and bugs that bite. So, um, well, so enough complaining. I'm sure everybody has their issues with the weather. Today I finished my chair and I'm really happy the way it turned out. It uh, has real festive ties on it. And again, if you want to see it, you can go look on my uh, blog site, which is maryfrancismcninch.com. I've been writing the blog for about five years, maybe a little more, I guess. <clears throat> I started writing when when we were, began to travel in our RV. We've taken three or four, four two-month trips all over, and it's been a blast. I love traveling in the RV. Right now, it's being serviced and fixed, but I'm hoping I can talk my husband into going someplace a little cooler for a few weeks at the at least in August, because the hot weather is going to be with us for a while. Last year is the same way. It was just unforgiving. I have air conditioning in my little cottage here. And uh, it's one of those window air conditioners. But it works just fine because it's such a small little place. But I remember back growing up in Murdo, uh, we did have the wind, the air conditioner in the window in the dining room. And I don't know what we did before we got that because to tell you how old I am, we had, I remember our first television. I remember getting the air conditioner and uh, I remember having two cars in the family. That was a big deal. And my brother didn't want to get two cars because he was afraid people would think we were rich. <laughs> or was it the he didn't want a new house? I don't know. The new house was um, one that my dad built. He was a plumbing and heating contractor, but he did a lot of building too. He could His man could do that. And it was uh, two bedrooms and one bath upstairs and one bedroom and one bath downstairs. And my mother used to rent out part of the basement well, actually, she made us stay in the basement, and she rented out our rooms upstairs to tourists. And then, what do you know, along came the relatives from Michigan, and they needed a place to stay. And, of course, you can't charge relatives, so Mom would secretly fume that she had to give up her money when the relatives came. But the family um, in Murdo, aunts and uncles, and my grandparents especially, were... Uh, they were the thing that kept me going all through my school years, through high school. 
my grandparents were exactly what you would think of when you think about grandparents. My grandpa was a talker. He would be telling you a story and he would, one story would remind him of another, would remind him of another. And to keep the floor, as mom used to say, he would say, 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 I was talking to Eldon the other day and he wanted to know if if uh, I was going to go fishing and how many fish had I caught in the North Dam and say, well, he thought he would just say, say, so as mom decided was a way to keep the floor. My brother brought him out to California where he was going to college and grandpa, of course, had never been on an airplane or a freeway or anything like that. And the minute he got off the airplane and Billy put him in the car, he just talked, 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 talked all the way to my aunt and uncle's house. <laughs> and when they got there, they said, well, Grandpa, what did you think of the freeway? And of course, he hadn't even noticed. Uh, he said, well, looks to me like it's the safest place to be. He was a terrible driver when you would ride with him he would look everywhere but on the road. He would turn to talk to you and hit one ditch and then correct himself and hit the other side. It's a wonder he never uh, killed himself or somebody else, but he always managed to keep the shiny side up. And uh, Grandma, I know, must have feared for her life many times. Grandma was a little bitty thing, five feet, all of five feet, if that, and 80 pounds, if that. And she was, but she was feisty. She, uh, they had a cabin in the Black Hills. They had a very modest home in Murdo, South Dakota. And then they had a little tin trailer in a new place that was developing in uh, the Black Hills that Grandpa thought he needed to uh, put a little trailer on. And one day my brother, uh, was with them there and grandma was looking for something and she threw a spatula all the way across the tiny trailer and she said I don't know why I can't have just one nice house instead of three ones with nothing in them <laughs> so anyway uh, quite a family and the memories I have are just can't be beat I remember making cornmeal mush uh, fried cornmeal mush grandpa would cook mush, put it in the refrigerator all night, and then the next morning he would slice it up and and dredge it in flour and fry it in butter or oil, and then we'd have it with syrup. And it was one of the best memories I have, of uh, especially of being at the cabin. And when I say cabin, it was a rickety house, that, well, I, I will say that my uncle fixed it up quite a bit through the years, but it was not a, a, a fancy cabin that you might think of. It was a little house with um, wallpaper that had pine cones on it and big uh, one bedroom with big beds with fluffy mattresses and feather cover uh, comforters. And then the other room, same thing, feather mattress and uh, just uh, linoleum, the old-fashioned linoleum. There was a fuel-burning stove, and then in the kitchen there was a wood-burning stove and um, no running water at first. Uncle Jerry put that in later. 
we would go down to the creek first thing and dip out ice cold water from the creek not a thought of was it gonna harm us or what kind of organisms it had in it or anything like that it was among my most favorite memories spending time with my grandparents there any time they went I was ready to hop in the car if they'd let me so there's a few of more of my experiences and I, and I would love to know if you can relate if you had similar ones um, my brother left when I was in the fourth grade so he went to college in California and so I was pretty much an only child after that and I didn't like it one bit but I did have the cousins and I did have my grandparents so that compensated a lot okay well I guess um, some of you would like to hear uh, another chapter of Abby Ann A is for Abby Ann and so the next uh, segment will be that. So enjoy and leave me messages. I hope you're listening. I'm trying to get more listeners. And I hope that all my friends out there will pass it on to other friends. And we can make this good. We can make this fun. And it's, uh, it'll be a real hoot. Abby Ann, Part 3 I looked at my watch and realized it was almost time to meet Mandy's tutor. Aaron had spent the morning with our daughter, acclimating her to our new home. He would be leaving for the airport shortly, as he had a previously scheduled business meeting to attend. The meeting with the tutor went well. I was relieved that she seemed professional and organized. I had no doubt that Mandy and Miss Jameson would get along just fine. After dinner, I went to Mandy's room and spent some time with her before tucking her into bed. I'm so happy you like your teacher, I said. I'm sure you will miss your school friends, but we'll find some new friends, I promise. Mandy looked at me with a puzzled expression. I already have three new friends, Mommy, she said. Andy and Alice are nice, but Abby Ann is my best friend. They all lived here before the doll maker made them into dolls. They think I'm the little girl who used to live here. This was her room before she disappeared. I looked around the room and didn't see the cute little dolls. Where did you put them, Sweet Pea? I don't see them anywhere. I was starting to get concerned about where Mandy's imagination was taking her. They're still with the doll maker, but they'll be back, she promised. They're already dolls, Mandy. Why would they have to go back to the doll maker? They have to go back to help the new dolls, she said. She just came from the place children go before they become dolls, the place inside the iron fence. I checked on Mandy three times that night, and each time she was sleeping peacefully. Then, just before dawn, I thought I heard voices coming from the hallway between Mandy's room and ours. I grabbed my robe and went to have a look. There was no one in the hall, so I decided to check on my daughter again. Mandy was still sleeping, and with her were Andy and Alice. Where had she found them, and where was her favorite, Abby Ann? 
I opened the door to leave, and that's when I noticed the molding around the door had been damaged. I went back to my room to think. I knew what I had to do, but in what order? Should I go to the tower to see my uncle? Should I see exactly what is inside the wrought iron fence? I thought about the damaged door casing in Mandy's room. Was Aunt B responsible? I was mulling all this over when I noticed something on the floor just inside the door. It was a photo album. I opened it, and on the first page was Abby Ann, and in beautiful handwriting, someone had written her story. I was about to start reading Abby Ann's story when there was a knock at the door. It was Aunt B. I wondered how she managed to put such outrageous outfits together. On the other hand, they suited her. She was through the door before I had a chance to invite her in. There was a wheelchair ramp, so she hadn't had to climb stairs, yet she was totally breathless. What can I do for you, Aunt B? I asked. Can I get you something, maybe a glass of water? She looked, She shook her head, no, then took a minute to catch her breath. I must speak with you about something of major importance, she said. Of course. What has you so distraught, Aunt Beatrice? She moved from the wheelchair to a chair near me. She was barely talking above a whisper, as if she feared someone would hear. It's about my brother Charles. He's been coming down from the tower again. Oh, dear, you don't know. He's mad, do you? He's absolutely loco. She looked at me as if to see if I was grasping what she was trying to tell me. He has a nurse who is to keep him sedated so he will stay in the tower. I have no previous knowledge of my uncle's state of mind, I said. What do you mean when you say he's coming down from the tower again? What does he do that concerns you so much? Oh, dear. I think I need to go back in time a bit. Please try to keep up with what I'm telling you. Charles and I inherited the estate from our parents. Our sister, your mother, wanted nothing to do with any of us. Charles has always been somewhat strange, but not in a malicious way. Aunt B looked away, as if she was trying to decide how to help me understand her dilemma. Charles was married for a brief period of time. He and his wife had a daughter. Belle, who was raised here until she turned 16, at which time her mother took her abroad to complete her education. Neither of them came back which devastated Charles. Oh, dear, she fanned herself. I believe I will have some water, if you don't mind. This could take a while, I thought, as I went to get her water. Refreshed, she went on. Several years later, Charles learned he had a granddaughter. His daughter, Belle, who would be about your age now, married a Mr. Anders. They had one child, Amanda. One day, Charles received word that Amanda was being sent to him. She arrived a week later with the governess. She was only three years old. We never learned why she was sent here or what became of her parents and grandmother. Charles was devoted to Amanda. She was a delight, and everyone loved her. Charles even built a small school on the grounds. 
There were five children, including Amanda. It was a boarding school of sorts. Charles awarded scholarships to less fortunate children. They resided here during the school year and went to their various homes during the summer months. Where was the school, Aunt B? I asked. Oh, my, Aunt B looked as if the blood had drained from her face. I helped her lie down on the settee and got her a cold cloth. I could barely hear her answer. It's inside the wrought iron fence. Do you need a doctor, Aunt B? I asked. She didn't answer me. Aunt B was still breathing but unconscious. I asked the housekeeper if there was a doctor close by. She said there was indeed a doctor who had been called to a state quite often when the children were still here. She left to put in a call, and I stayed with Aunt Beatrice. She certainly did not look well. I had no idea where Aunt B had been going with the diatribe. I, too, was a little nervous about Uncle Charles running around unchecked, but there was nothing I could do until the doctor got here and could tell me the seriousness of Aunt B's condition. By the time the doctor arrived, Aunt B was making some moaning sounds. It wasn't long before she started coming around and opened her eyes. She looked at the doctor adoringly, batting her eyes, which couldn't have been easy considering her heavy false eyelashes. Miss Sanders, it's obvious that you have been in an, an overwrought state. Have you been taking your medication? he asked. Oh, dear, she whimpered. I'm afraid Charles is out of control again. I'm sure that nurse isn't keeping him sedated. Where on earth did you find her? Everything has just been so unsettled around here, and of course I have to manage it all. I did win big at the bingo last night. It had been such a while, you know. She was clearly enamored with the handsome doctor. You're just having one of your spells, Beatrice, he concluded. I recommend a couple of days bed rest, and you'll be as good as new. You and Gladys really must stay out of the smoking section of the bingo games. He looked at me when he said, I have some place I need to be right now, but I will be back tomorrow morning to check on Charles. It's very nice to meet you, Miss Allen. I will see myself out. After Aunt B gained some strength back, the housekeeper and I helped her back in her electric wheelchair and managed to get her back to her rooms. She was asking the maid for a bell and some magazines when I left. I needed to tend to Mandy. I walked into Mandy's room expecting to see her playing with her dolls or reading with the young maid I had asked to stay with her. I didn't want my daughter alone when she was not with her teacher, her father, or me. There was no one in the room. It appeared that Mandy had been playing with her dolls and the huge dollhouse. Alice and Andy were there, but Abby Ann was still gone, and in her place was a new little boy doll. I found the maid and Mandy walking along a path outside that looked like it led to the fence schoolyard. I must go take a look at the deserted building that had once been a school, but not now. I wanted to relax and with a cup of tea and read about Abby Ann.